Welcome to the God and Cancel Culture podcast. This is Stephen Strang. When I wrote the book, God and Cancel Culture, which will be out September 7th, I recorded a couple dozen interviews, and most of these interviews I turned into podcasts. They have already run on my Strang Report. But in order to draw attention to the book and to reach a new audience, I have this new podcast. So today you're going to hear my podcast that I did with Matt Staver on March 8th, and he talks about what was happening with cancel culture, especially having to do with Cheon and that case out in California, which Matt Staver and the Liberty Council helped to win, and talks about some other things. His podcasts are always big. He's very articulate. He's become a good friend over the years. So stay tuned for the actual Strang Report podcast that I did with Matt Staver, and then I'll be back with a message at the end. Welcome to the Strang Report with Steve Strang on the Charisma Podcast Network. This episode was produced to discuss and address issues within our nation and around the world from a Christian worldview. Welcome back and welcome to you, Matt Staver. I always enjoy the times that we talk. Uh, We've done several podcasts, of course. You and I have been friends for years. I've been in your home several times, and I just so appreciate all that you do. Tell us about this latest case in Virginia, which, as bad as it is, isn't as egregious as some of the others that I've heard about. Yeah, we have a lot of these different kinds of outrageous, uh, shocking situations. And the case in Virginia actually occurred on Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, this particular church, it seats about 293 people. And it's the Lighthouse Fellowship Church. It does not have internet, and many of the people it serves have no internet. So they don't have the option just to go online Many of the people, or some of the people, certainly of that the church helps and that are part of the church family have come out of prostitution or drug addiction. And so for them, the church is their only family. On Palm Sunday, they had 16 people in a 293-seat sanctuary, six people over Governor Northam's magic number of 10. And after the service, the police were there to give the pastor a criminal summons, the penalties of which are up to a year in prison and a $2,500 fine. And so to the rest of the other 15 people that were there, in addition to the pastor, they threatened them and said, if you come back again on Easter, we will do the same to each one of you. So they were so afraid. Obviously, they didn't come back for Easter services, and for them, they had no online alternative. So that's a major case that's going on. You know, the governor in that state, they have all kinds of essential businesses, such as liquor stores and the Walmart, Kmart, Home Depot, the super shopping centers, the big box centers, abortion clinics are considered essential, but churches are not. And so in that state, only 10 people are allowed. It doesn't matter, Steve, whether your sanctuary seats 50 people or 5,000 people. It was only 10 people under these orders. As a result of this case, it got national attention, and the U.S. Department of Justice has filed a brief in support of our case with the court, asking the court to enter an injunction because of its violation of the First Amendment. And then Vice President Mike Pence was recently asked about the case on a national radio program, and he strongly supports the Department of Justice getting involved and said that, you know, it is tragic to see this kind of a case here. He took the position on behalf of the church, certainly supporting it, because this is a real violation to religious freedom. 
It absolutely is. I mean, haven't they ever heard of the First Amendment? We have a right to freedom of religion. And yes, there are some extenuating circumstances. I mean, we have hurricanes down here in Florida that sometimes hit on Sunday and it's not safe to go outdoors. But, you know, for a someone like the governor just to say 10 people, and to me, it's outrageous that these officials, not only in Virginia, but in different parts of the country, say the church is non-essential and liquor stores are. Now, there are people who cannot live without their liquor, but I mean, is that a right? And there are those of us who can't live without our spiritual nurturing and being with family and you know, our our church family and so forth. So, you know, to me, this is, people are showing their true colors. What does this say about our country? Well, you know, I think what you see happening around the country, the most restrictive states, particularly with regards to churches, are those states where at the very top of the ticket is a governor who doesn't respect the sanctity of human life. And if they don't respect life, what we see is they don't respect freedom and certainly not religious freedom. And that's what we've seen in Kentucky and Virginia, Maine, Illinois, and you name it, the places where we're litigating and we're in many, many other states. That's a consistent pattern. If they don't respect life, they don't respect liberty. And so they do consistently across the board, they consider liquor stores essential, abortion centers essential, but churches not. And they just literally have no trust that they can incorporate the health requirements and health precautions and social distancing within their worship services, they just simply wipe them off the map with the word non-essential. And I think I read, uh, you know, I read all the stuff that comes out of Liberty Council, and we publish a lot of it. And I think that this came from Liberty Council. Uh, You made the case that two people can pass each other in the aisle of the grocery store safely, and those same two people who hypothetically belong to the same church can't pass each other safely between the pews or something like that. I mean, it's just... That's actually, yeah, that's actually a quote from the Federal Court of Appeals, and uh, that's a case in which we are litigating on behalf of the Kentucky Maryville Baptist Church, and there they didn't allow any people either in the parking lot or inside the sanctuary. So on Easter... On the very day of Easter, in fact, on Good Friday, the governor said, if any of you go to church on Easter, I'm going to send police officers there, and you're going to get ticketed, and we're going to give you notices of quarantine. Well, sure enough, he did. And so on Easter, and even even though on Saturday, by the way, there was a federal court order that came out between Good Friday and Easter that said, you can't do that. He ignored it. So he did that on Easter, and these people were in their cars for a parking lot service. They didn't get out of the cars. The state troopers came car to car, taking down information of the licenses and and the VIN numbers, and then they gave them notices of quarantine. A couple of days later, the governor sent out letters to each one of those vehicle owners demanding that they go into quarantine and everyone that was an occupant of the car and who they got in contact with, and that they would not be able to travel out of the county without the permission of the government and that they would have to take their temperature at the same time every day and report it at that same time to the County Board of Health. Now, these are people, Steve, they didn't have any symptoms. They just went to a church. They could have gone just literally within minutes of the church to the Walmart, Kmart, Home Depot, grocery store, or the liquor stores. They could have jammed the parking lots with no problem. They could have jammed the insides with no problem, but because they were parked in a church parking lot, They got the notices of quarantine. 
the good news is is that what you were quoting from comes from a federal court of appeals. We got a victory two Saturdays in a row, Saturday afternoon. We ended up taking the case up to the court of appeals, and the court of appeals ruled first uh, that the parking lot service ban was unconstitutional, and then the second uh, Saturday right after that, that the in-service ban was unconstitutional as well. And that's what they said. They said, well, in Kentucky, the governor allows you to walk down a grocery aisle, but what's the difference between doing that and walking past a pew? And what they did was they basically said, look at the unequal treatment. Uh, you can go to all these other these secular places of public gathering. You can go into these stores. No problem there. But now you say you can't go into a church because somehow there's a problem there. That's unconstitutional because it's unequal treatment. And it seems to me that most of these cases, at least the ones that we've covered, the church is one. I haven't really researched it. Maybe there are a few, but isn't it true that most of the time they rule in favor of the First Amendment? There's been some pros and cons. Uh, we've had pretty good success on our cases. We have the first and only case at the Court of Appeals in the country, and that was the case out of Kentucky. So that sends a very, very strong message. We're going to appeal a case out of Maine, and uh, we're going to maybe have one coming out of Virginia. Both of those will be at the Court of Appeals probably pretty soon. But we have really good uh, momentum on our side on these cases because the law's on our side. And at a minimum, certainly the First Amendment gives preferential treatment because we have a First Amendment that guarantees free exercise of religion. Walmart, Kmart, Home Depot, they don't have that First Amendment free exercise of religion. We also have a First Amendment establishment clause that says the government can't establish religion, which means they can't give the form and manner of worship. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, for example, that your form of worship has to only be online. Well, that is a template that they're putting on every particular church in their state, no matter the denomination, no matter the structure, no matter the facilities. The government has no right to do that. So we have a good constitutional right that we are making as an argument. The U.S. Department of Justice recognizes that, and that's why they have filed, in our case, in support of the Virginia case that we started off talking about. But on the other hand, we have some judges out there that just don't follow the Constitution, and that's why in Kentucky... You know, we lost that at the lower court, but we got two consecutive victories of the same case at the Court of Appeals, and that sets a very strong precedent. You know, this is like a police state. You would expect this in a communist country, not in America. Is there any action against these police or these public officials that sort of take the law into their own hand? Is there any kind of punishment, or do we just have to vote them out of office? you got to vote them out of office. Uh, unfortunately, they have a very broad immunity from any kind of punishment, even though they make these unconstitutional decisions. I know the governor of New Jersey was asked a question, how do you square the First Amendment with the restrictions you placed on churches? And he said, that's above my pay grade. I never thought about it. I mean, that is really shocking. You know, and speaking about these repressive communist countries, we represent Romanian pastors in Chicago. In Chicago, there is no services allowed there in Chicago. Actually, they allow 10. They just began to allow 10. And again, that's no matter what the size of your sanctuary is. You could have 10 in a, in a sanctuary that seats 1,000 or 5,000 or 50. They put this template across the board. So we represent Romanian pastors, and the important thing about them these pastors, they got arrested in communist Romania when they were there. The revolution ultimately lasted only two weeks. It started with a pastor being arrested, and it started in the town of Timisoara. 
And that's where Harry Mehet, one of our attorneys, our chief litigation counsel, grew up, and he was 12 years old at the time. He experienced his first day of freedom on Christmas Day, 1989, when the revolution was over, two weeks before it had started because a pastor was arrested. These pastors love America. This is their adopted home country. And there's a lot of Romanian pastors and Romanian people that fled communism to come to this country, the land of the free. It was always a beacon of hope. And these pastors now in Illinois, they are facing arrest for having a church service, even though they do more social distancing and hygiene than any other secular operation would do. And so they began meeting for the first time this past Sunday. And uh, we have filed a federal lawsuit. We should hopefully get a ruling in the next few days in that case. But I think these pastors really get it, Steve, because they grew up in a place where if they didn't do what the government wanted them to do with regards to their religious gatherings, they would be arrested and beaten. And they never, ever thought, Steve, that in America, coming to this wonderful country that they love and that they've adopted, that they would actually face the prospect of arrest for having a church service. Well, this is frightening at lots of levels. Of course, someday this pandemic will be over. But what do you think the lasting effect is going to be? Number one of the these officials uh, showing their true colors. And, you know, you made the very astute observation about not being for life. But also there's some uh, municipalities that won't... Uh, you know, they're sanctuary cities, so they won't obey the laws of the land having to do with illegal immigrations and so forth, which shows their attitude. And now this attitude against the First Amendment. Do you think there's going to be long-term ramifications, or do you think the people will rise up at the ballot box instead of a revolution like you described in Romania? And do you think there'll be such a backlash that maybe this will never happen again? Well, I'm praying that there'll be a backlash from the people and that they will remember these different governors and local officials as well, because the local officials have gotten into the same act as well, as we well know, that when they go to the polls next time and every time they go to the polls, they remember what these people did and how they just simply crushed and ignored our constitutional freedom and vote these individuals out of office. I hope that this becomes a campaign issue at every level of elected office as we move forward in the future. This is so critical. I never would have thought in America we would see the kind of restriction and loss of liberty that we've seen, and people so willing to take that liberty and uh, impose these executive orders without any thought of the Constitution at all. So they need to have repercussion at the ballot box, and we need to vote people in who do understand our true freedom. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, you hear about politicians being so sensitive to any kind of criticism that comes in the mail or, you know, there's some issue, you know, not what we're talking about. And, you know, the people back in their district or in their municipality are against something or other. But I haven't really seen anything that any officials, maybe they're not the ones that are doing anything, are like afraid of this. Is there a way that average people can make some kind of groundswell where this is a, a big deal and, and the officials, maybe other officials see it and, and think again about taking away our constitutional rights? Well, I think we're starting to see that in some states, for example, in Michigan. In Michigan, for example, you're seeing that where they literally are pushing back and they, despite the governor's order for staying at home, they traveled to the state capitol. Many of them stayed in their cars 
So they did distance themselves. And they've continued to do that. They've done that in various other states as well. And I'm beginning to see this thing happening literally worldwide. The media doesn't really cover it, but it's happening worldwide in many, many countries. And so we're seeing it, I think, happen at the local level. You know, the thing about it is when these things, like perhaps they would name it Reopen, you know, Virginia or Reopen Michigan, they were putting these Facebook groups on Facebook and Facebook literally shut them all down literally shut them down. And these people have come up with other ways to coordinate and begin to push back in these various places, both on the local level and also at the state level. And I think we need to see more of that where people are just simply saying enough is enough. And these politicians, they need to start listening to the people. Well, and they need to pay attention to the Constitution. I mean, I'm not aware of this ever happening Before, there was a pandemic in 1918 that was very bad. In some ways, it was a whole lot worse because we lost 500,000 people on a much smaller population. I think the population was probably about a third of what it is now. And that was much worse. And schools and churches were shut down for a short time. But And I haven't studied it extensively, but what I read about it, there was you know, there wasn't the same kind of disregard of the Constitution where they go car to car and write down people's numbers and all that kind of stuff. You know, they would say, stay home because it's not safe. A little bit like the governor does when there's a hurricane. He says, just stay off the streets. You know, it's not against churches per se. Yeah, exactly right. I don't think that we had that kind of extreme reaction back even in 1918 that we're seeing now. And who would have ever thought we would see it now? What we're also seeing, Steve, and I think this is a long-term, short and long-term issue that we need to continue to watch, and that is this tracing, testing, and isolation. And out of this, and this is something that's happening globally, both on the United States as well as around the world, and that is to have these apps or these different kinds of tracing devices connected to your smartphone that connects all of the different locations where you've been and people that you're in contact with, so they trace you. And then they want to test you and they want to isolate you. And that this would become what they're calling a digital passport. So that whenever you got onto a plane or went into some uh, restaurant, that's what's happening, for example, in, in China, or you go into any place of public accommodation, a sporting arena or something like that, that just like you're going on an airplane, you have to give your ticket for the aircraft that you're going to be flying, that you would have to have that same approval on your smart device or some kind of chip as a prerequisite to have access. That started in China, and they have mandatory apps now that go on your cell phone, and they come up with green, yellow, or red to determine whether you have a warning, you have access, or whether you are prohibited to have access. And there's a, there's an incredibly vast system led by people like Bill Gates and, and many others that are really pushing this global tracing and tracking. That really is a major threat to our freedom that I've never seen to this extent before. And so what can average people do, average Christians, other than pray? Well, on this particular issue of certainly pray is obviously the best thing that we have to always do, but we also have to act. First, we, after, you know, in addition to praying, always pray, we need to vote people out of office that don't understand our freedom and vote people in office that do, people that share these Judeo-Christian values and understand the real cost and price and value of freedom. 
Also, what we have to do is for those people that are in, because some of this is coming out of the federal government, some of it's out of the states, uh, and there's a lot of it going in both situations. We need to stay involved with what's happening and then push back. You know, we have at Liberty Council at LC.org, our website, LC.org, uh, we are tracking this. We're following this. For example, Steve, there is a bill. Get this. It's called H.R. 6666. 6666. And it is the bill that is being pushed through the House right now to do exactly what I'm talking about, to provide hundred million dollars a year to the various states to do this tracing. Now, they're going to do it under the idea, well, they just want to keep you safe. But you know what happens is this is the ticket. This is the admission ticket for you to even exist. And it will track everything that you do. And if you and I come in contact with each other, it's going to connect all the different people that you come in contact with, with all the people that I've come in contact with. And it'll be this global tracking system, particularly in the United States, but also worldwide. That's what we need to continue to push back on. And so we have on our website information about not only that bill, but what's happening in the states so that you can Make your voice known, because this, I'm telling you, is a real threat to our freedom. And it is frightening. I'm just amazed that they called it 666. Did they do that on purpose? You know, usually it's almost like superstition. People don't like those three letters in their license tag or their phone number. Surely the officials know that there's a meaning to a lot of people on the number 666 and the Antichrist. You know, I don't know how, you know, the numbers are generally just uh, done, I guess, sequentially. But this one, this one actually adds a, a fourth six. So it's six, 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 but it's all sixes, 66, 66. And it's an ironic number for them to have for this particular kind of bill. And uh, they're pushing this right now. There's 45 sponsors in the House, 44 Democrats and one Republican. And this particular Republican is one who just left the Democratic Party to become a Republican. And he's the other 45th person. So that's quite a bit of sponsors already on this bill. Uh, we're monitoring that. But I tell you what, each state, New York, for example, they're hiring hundreds of these tracers, these individuals, paying them $27 an hour. These are people who have no training there is training going on as I speak. And I'm not wanting to be an alarmist. I'm just telling you facts of what's happening in all these different states. And every state is doing it to a greater extent or less. Massachusetts is leading the charge. So Massachusetts, California, New York, those are some of the big states that are becoming the models right now across the country. Well, we so appreciate what Liberty Council does. Uh, Joy and I have supported your ministry over the years. I encourage other people to do. You, of course, didn't ask me to do this, but I guess people could go to lc.org, your website, and find out how they can. Well, first of all, you have lots of information there, but also if they want to say, I support this because you guys do this pro bono for all these people, and then you're supported by people who believe in this and want to support you so you can do it pro bono. Exactly, yes. Uh, thank you, Steve. And we do everything pro bono, all the work that we do. Right now we're working with pastors and churches in about 40 states, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors uh, that we're working with all over this country uh, regarding the situations that we've been talking about. But our website, as you mentioned, is lc.org, just two letters, lc.org. And you can find more information there, how you can get involved to answer some of the questions, 
how can we make a difference? How can I make a difference? And then you can also donate. Liberty Council is a nonprofit tax-deductible organization. And again, it's lc.org. Well, thank you for your time. I know with all these things going on, it's very, very precious and you fit in to do a podcast with me. I hope the listeners will send this around to people. We've got to get the word out far and wide. As he referenced, the big social media companies are censoring it to a certain extent. I posted something about Jim Baker yesterday. I thought very innocuous and they they refused to let me advertise it. Oh, really? I saw that. So they blocked that too. They did. They said it didn't meet their community standards. And mm. so I'm going to pursue that individually. But And I know up close and personal that they censor this kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's in some ways it's worse than the government, because at least with the government, we have a certain recourse. But uh, that's a subject for another day. So let me just thank you again for your time. Thank you, Matt Staver. And thank you to people for listening. Thank you. God bless. I want to just add a P.S. to what you just heard with Matt Staver and to talk about my new book, which is called God, Trump and COVID-19. This is going to go out as a newsletter on Thursday, May 14th. Of course, they're online for a long, long time as a podcast, but this is literally the day, the day that the book is available on Amazon, both the ebook version, uh, you know, Kindle version, as well as the print version. So our early indicators are very, very good. We had quite good pre-sales. This is really a continuation, in a way, of God, Trump, and the 2020 election, which talks about why it's so important to President Trump get back in, partly because the people who represent the other side believe the way that Matt and I were just talking about. I mean, you know, not every single person, but it's sort of a mindset. We didn't really discuss politics at all, but it's mostly the blue states where they're really coming against our freedoms. And if they get in power, there's no telling what will happen. The book was written, God Trump in the 2020 election was finished and out before the COVID-19 thing hit. And it really throws this election into question. One of the reasons I said in God Trump 2020 that Donald Trump might lose is if something happened to the economy. And of course, we all know that in addition to the people getting sick and unfortunately the deaths that have happened, that really the economic impact on the average American is far, far greater. And I discuss it, the whole thing from a spiritual point of view. I talk about what the prophets are saying. There are some prophets that are saying that all these bad things that we're going through will force people to pray and look at God in a way that we haven't seen in a long time and may actually spark a great awakening. It's a small book. It's only 128 pages. I wrote it in less than three weeks. I've talked about it in other settings. And just because this is going out the day it releases on Amazon, I wanted to call that to your attention. You can also get it on my website, which is called stevestrangbooks.com. That's my name, Steve Strang, and then the word books, no spaces. And on that site, there are some special offers and you can get it in quantities and so forth. It's also in some stores. I found out just today that Mardell's in different parts of the country is going to be carrying it. We believe that we're going to have it in Walmart. I think that's still pending. Because remember, from the time we I started the book until it's for sale is just barely over a month. So that's very, very fast in the publishing world. And I did it because I thought it was so important. So I just wanted to add this at the end of the podcast and encourage you to check it out. I think you'll find it a good read. And also it, it supports this kind of 
journalism, really, because I'm reporting things that you get very few other places, and you get it from the spiritual, spirit-filled perspective where we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God still speaks today through the prophets. You know, there is a certain kind of Christian press that is just very, very liberal, and, you know, not to criticize anybody in particular, but we are doing our part to try to stand against this and to provide an alternative. So thank you for your interest. Thank you for support. And thank you for checking out either Amazon for God, Trump and COVID-19, as well as my own website, stevestrangbooks.com. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Strang Report with Steve Strang. To read more from Steve, visit his blog, The Strang Report on charismamag.com. Again, it's The Strang Report on charismamag.com. This is Stephen Strang, and I'm back in the studio, and I just want to add something to this podcast. First of all, you must have enjoyed it if you're still with me. Second of all, I hope it made you want to read the book. As I said earlier, it will be out September 7th. That's the day after Labor Day. That's the day when Amazon will ship your book if you pre-order it. We will actually have copies a couple of weeks before that so they can have time to go to all the stores. I'll be promoting it in lots and lots of ways. You can find out about it on my own website, stevestrangbooks.com. There is a trailer to the book. There's some sample things that you can read. You can buy autographed copies of all the books that I've written. So just check out my site, stevestrangbooks.com. It's my name, Steve Strang. No E on the end of Strang, and then the word books.com. If you know me, you know I go by both Steve and Stephen. With the book, I go by Stephen, but the website is stevestrangbooks.com. I don't even know. When somebody asks me what, to, what they should call me, sometimes I don't even know what to say. So anyway, I just wanted to uh, help you remember how to say the name of the website. Thank you for listening to my new podcast. God and Cancel Culture. I believe it's the most important book I've written. God bless you.